Are you ready for the word of God? Are you ready to hear something from God? Did you come so God could speak something to you? You didn't just come because it was Sunday and you're supposed to go to church. Did you come to have an encounter with God and for God to give you a word that would change your life? Are you okay if it's a hard word and maybe not even a fun word? See, now I'm setting you up. You better watch what you answer. Are you ready? All right, well, get your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 15 and 1 Kings chapter 19. John 15 and 1 Kings 19. And last week we started this series I heart my church or I love my church and I love my church. Do you love your church? I love church. I grew up where, you know, and really nowadays, if you say you love your church, people think you're in a cult, but it's interesting. We can love, you know, all the different singers and artists and musicians. Like I love this person. I love that person. I don't even know who they are anymore because they don't have country music anymore. We got guys in skinny jeans with a ball cap that's rapping. That's not country music, friend. That's not, that came from hell. All right. Where is Willie and Waylon when you need them? Do you understand what I'm saying? We, people like, I like country music. No, no. You like some kind of hillbilly rap jam stuff. That's not country music. But people say, I like this and I love this and I love this and I love this. And I love my church. You're in a cult. <laughs> okay. No, no, it's okay to love church. It's okay to love, I, you know, I grew up and maybe you went to one of those churches. I've been to some of those churches where people, when they're walking in, Look like they just signed up for a colonoscopy via Roto-Rooter. Have you ever been there? They're walking in like. And, and I'm like, that's not how you should go to church. That doesn't look right. And then they leave and sometimes they're madder on the way out. And, and I thought, you know, when we started pathing, like church isn't something that you endure. It's something you enjoy. It should be fun. You should be getting up on Sunday or Saturday, depending on where you show up. It's like, man get to go to church, man. We're going to have some good music, good worship, awesome musicians. I'm going to see some people from my life group. I don't know what the pastor's going to say. It should be exciting. You know, we should go and enjoy meeting with God and being with God's people and know that it's not going to be a torture treatment, right? We, we got to love it. You know, we got to love church. And I said this last week, I love church because it's messy. And that's the only way you can have church because all you have is messy people. Ain't nobody got it together. I don't care what you thought when you looked in the mirror and you came this morning and you sat in here like, oh, I finally got it. You don't have it together. We could ask your husband. He would tell us. We could ask your wife. She would let us know. It's okay. No one else in this room has it together either. That's okay. There were just a bunch of messy people serving an awesome God, worshiping him and just trying to be better every day as his spirit changes our lives. We're messy, but that's okay. God knows we're messy. We know we're messy. We know each other's messy. That's what makes this thing work. It's when you forget that we're messy that it doesn't work anymore. Because then church is about who has long hair, who has short hair, who has a tattoo, who's wearing a suit, who's wearing a tie, what color the carpet is, who's better than who, who was at prayer meeting, who wasn't, who read their Bible, who can quote the Bible. Then it turns out to be stupid stuff when you forget we're all messy. So we're in this series, I Heart My Church, and we started last year, and I, or last year, <laughs> it was a long week. And so <laughs> we started last week with this, um, <laughs> with this, uh, and, and I gave you a new word. And I said, this year, you don't need a New Year's resolution. Resolutions are based on negative things. They're problem-centric. But what you need is a New Year's visolution. What's going to make this year, you know, it's kind of silly to enter into this year and think, I hope this year is better. I hope I find Mr. Right. 
I hope I find Mrs. Right. I hope my boss is not so crazy. I hope my marriage is better. I hope at the end of the year I'm in less debt. I hope I'll... It's kind of crazy to enter in a year and just hope all those things and do nothing different, right? Because what I've learned is to get a different outcome, you have to change some of the input. Like as long as I use two and two and and I add them together, I'm always going to get four, right? If I want something different than four, I got to change one of the twos. I can't get some a different outcome with the same input. So if you're approaching this year like you've approached every year, you're probably going to get what you got last year. But what we could do is we could get a vision, we could write it down and say, here's God's plan for my life that he's shown me for this year. This year, here's what God's speaking to me about maybe my marriage or about my my work life or about my devotional life or about my family, whatever. This is what God's speaking to me. And now we kind of have a bullseye to aim at this year. And now I've kind of got a vision for this year and I can start making a plan and moving towards that. And then I would guarantee that this year would be better than last year. Are you with me? And so we talked about having a vision. Like if we got a vision, man, we got something to aim at this year. And if we run our vision, if we really write it down and it comes from God and we do it, we're going to love the outcome. We're going to get a better outcome. And so this week, what I want to talk about is, is it goes along with that. Um, but I want to talk about really moving forward. Now we have our vision. How do we move forward to that next, that next level um, and, and here's really kind of the idea is most of the time when a new year starts and, and we want to change something, we want to move forward. Usually what we start thinking about is what we need to add to our life for it to move forward. Like for instance, if I got a raise this year, I really need to get a raise. And if I could add a raise or add a promotion, my life will go forward. Right. Or this year I need to add a relationship. Like I'm tired of being single and I'm going to add me a relationship to my life because if I finally had a significant other, I, my life will go forward. This year, I'm going to add a new workout r- routine to my life. And if I had a new workout routine, then I would feel better, right? And, and for some people, though, what we have to understand is that most of the time and many of the times, um, going to the next level is not about what you add into your life. Sometimes it's about what you take out of your life. And while it's good to add things into our life, like a workout routine or all that, I don't know about you, but what I've found is you can't, you can't work out enough to overcome a bad diet. Like I, you know, I looked at this year and I'm like, I still don't look the way I want to look and I can't add any more workouts to my life. I may have to trim some carbs. Now that sounds okay to you, but I have a love affair with carbs. I love them. (laughs) Right? Because you can't eat a meal without bread. It doesn't even matter if you're having pizza. You need rolls so you can have pizza. Are you with me? How many were raised in the South where if somebody served you a meal and you didn't have a roll, somebody's getting slapped? Like, what is this? Where's the roll? Everybody knows that fifth roll is just the warm-up for the cake that's about to be served. Give me a roll. Don't serve me. Serve me a meal, not give me. What am I going to sop the gravy up with if I don't have the roll? Right? That sweet tea that's so sweet I can pour it on my pancakes has got to wash down something. And so what we find out is sometimes, sometimes the way 
to the next level is not about what you begin, but rather what you end. Um, let me give you kind of a, a statement. You could write it down. You could put it on your refrigerator this year. It might help you. And that is this, that sometimes the enemy of the tomorrow you want is actually something you're not willing to end today. I don't know if I can. Sometimes, somebody said, say it again. I don't know, I just made it up. Sometimes, sometimes the enemy of the tomorrow you want is something you're not willing to end today. Jesus talks about this. We have a biblical word for it. Nobody likes the biblical word, but we have a biblical word for it. Jesus talks about it in John chapter 15, and he uses this word pruning. Yeah, I told you you weren't going to like it. (laughs) Nobody likes the idea of pruning. But here's what Jesus says in John chapter 1, or John chapter 15, verse 1. He says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. Watch this now. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more fruit. If you were to talk to someone that works with plants and maybe they have rose bushes or something like that, what they would tell you is that um, pruning isn't a negative. In fact, pruning isn't a punishment. What they would actually tell you is pruning is a discipline because without pruning, you never see the potential of the plant. And so any plant that does not embrace pruning never reaches its fullest potential. So pruning is not a negative, it's just a discipline. It's just a way of life. Everybody has to embrace pruning if they're really going to be, uh, if they're really going to achieve their potential. In fact, there is no way to reach your potential without pruning. If I'm not willing to trim some things back, I never get to go on to what I'm supposed to be or who I'm supposed to be or what I'm supposed to do. It's interesting, too, because, and as I said, it relates to last week talking about vision. It's interesting, too, because what they said is before you start pruning any plant, you have to start with a vision of what that plant is supposed to look like. So before I start cutting anything back, I need to know what I'm trying to grow. In other words, I've got to start with a vision of, okay, what would I like my plant, my rose bush to look like? And based on the vision that I have for this rose bush and the shape and what I want to accomplish or what I want to see this uh, rose bush accomplish, then I start trimming so that, so that it's trimmed based on the vision becomes a filter for you to trim by. If you don't know what your life is supposed to look like, you don't know what you're supposed to cut out of it and you don't know what you're supposed to add into it. And if you just keep adding into your life, everybody, everything everybody else is adding into their life based on your Facebook, Twitter profile, Instagram, or whatever. You just keep adding stuff into your life. Sooner or later, you're just going to be overwhelmed and still have no clue what you're supposed to look like. You're just trying to look like everybody else. But the world already has an everybody else. What we don't have is a you. And so we prune based on what our life is supposed to look like. So hopefully last week I've challenged everybody in our church to get a vision this year of what your life's supposed to look like this year. Get it from God and write it down. Write it down so that you have something to aim at, so that you know you now have a filter and you know what needs to be in my life and what needs to be out of my life. Um, based on this text that, that we have, John 15, the words of Jesus Based on that, I want to give you three areas that you can make some cuts if you want to go forward. Three areas that you can make some cuts 
if you want to go forward. I called this message because I really felt like this, this was the word from God. So it's almost like a declaration and a sermon all in a title, but this is what I called it. Cutting back to the next level. Cutting back to the next level. The way that you go forward is probably not by adding, but by subtracting. You subtract so you can multiply. You cut back so you can produce more. And I think that's a word for so many people. And so as we're making our plans this year about how this year is going to be different and what we'd like to see this year and what we'd like to accomplish this year, let us not forget that it's not just about adding all these things into our life that everybody else added into their lives, but sometimes it's about cutting some things out of our life so we can move forward. Are you with me? And so here's three things. If you want to write these down, first of all, you can cut the excess out. You can cut the excess out. In fact, um, John, I don't know if you're really paying attention to this. John 15, 2, it says, he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. Most of us are okay with that. I mean, we kind of get that. And then it says, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they can produce more. Do you see that? Do you understand what this tells me? That if I'm really fruitful... God's going to reward me by running at me with garden shears. <laughs> Did you see that? Like it's not, you're not in trouble. God's up there like, woo, you produce fruit. You know what I'm saying? It's like, wait a second. I thought I won. You did win. Great. Y'all didn't know I came with sound effects. It's okay. I'm like so talented. You don't even know. But you see that? Like, Pruning isn't a negative. It's actually, it actually means you, you reach the finish line of that season. <laughs> and the reason that he prunes is because he wants you to, to produce more fruit in the next season. You see, when we say no to pruning, we say yes to staying where we are. Isn't that fun? And so what we can do is we can, we can cut out the excess. Here's, here's what I learned. <laughs> I had to Google this. Thank God for Googling. I learned some things about plants. I still can't make them grow, but I know some things about them now. Um, but a rose bush produces more buds than it can actually sustain. And, and so what they do is they cut off the good buds so that the best buds can thrive. And so they look at it and they say, man, some of these branches, they got too many buds. They're good buds. But the only way to get this bush to really thrive the way it's supposed to, get this plant to really thrive the way it's supposed to, to get these others to really bloom the way they're supposed to, is I'm actually going to have to cut off some good buds so that the best ones can thrive. Sometimes in our life, the best thing we can know is the difference between a good bud and a best bud. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> but, but seriously, sometimes in our life, we need to know what's the difference between something that's good and something that's the best. What's good for me and what's the best for me based on this season in our lives. Because here's the thing, in your life, you only, you only have X amount of resources. You have X amount of time. You have X amount of energy. 
And if you try to sustain, in other words, all the things that come at you, I'm the soccer mom, I'm on this committee, I'm on that board, I'm doing this thing, I have that job, I took on this special project, I've got these kids, I've got these pets. If you start taking on everything that seems good, eventually you're going to have more things pulling energy and resource from you than you can actually sustain. And what will actually happen is you will wither. Can I just tell you, some of you, what you need to do is you need to learn a phrase. That's good for them. Like Pastor James' mama has a phrase, and she's Italian. But you can tell her, like, you like a restaurant or you like to do something. She said, that's good for you. That's good for you. In other words, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. I'm not eating there. I'm really Italian. That's Olive Garden. That's not Italian. They microwave that stuff. You understand what I'm saying? If you're from Olive Garden, I love you. But anyways, <laughs> but she has this phrase, that's good for you. And sometimes you just need to learn this phrase when you're looking through Facebook. Oh, that's good for them. Oh, that's good for them. Hey, that's good for you. Because see, I don't know nothing about your season. I don't know how much time you have. I don't know how many resources you have. I don't know how much energy you have. I don't know everything that you have connected to your life. But I know about my life and I know about what I'm trying to do and I know about what God's spoken to me. And that's good for you. But if I put it over here, it's just going to take me under. So I'm going to be free to not try to be you. That's good preaching. There's this cool story in First uh, uh, Kings chapter 19, if you're there. Um, I, I love this story because my grandfather was a preacher, uh, and he used to preach a sermon on this text, and, uh, and he would call it, uh, kill the cow and burn the plow. And you'll understand why in a minute, because literally, Elisha kills the cow and burns the plow. And pretty original. But I love the, the title's always stuck with me. I just love it. Kill the cow, burn the plow. And so anyways, but in this text, this is where Elijah, the prophet, um, God speaks to him basically to go and recruit Elisha to, to come after him, right? And to carry on his ministry after him. And I know it gets confusing because you have Elijah and Elisha. I don't know why God did that. But anyways, he did. Elijah and Elisha. But you can remember, if you just remember, J comes before S in the alphabet. So there was Elijah, J, and then there was Elisha, S. If you don't know your alphabet, I'm out of tricks for you. All right? So there was Elijah and Elisha. And so Elijah goes to find Elisha so that Elisha can follow Elijah and become a prophet to Israel. And so here's the text. It says, uh, verse 19, it says, So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. I don't know if you're pregnant, but I think that's a cool name, especially if you think he's going to be a rapper. But Shaphat, what's up, Shaphat? Anyways, <laughs> it was, some people need biblical names, man. If you're looking for a biblical name for a rapper, I think that's his Shaphat. Anyways. Or it could be any show fat. I don't know what it is. But anyway, Shaphat. All right, so he, he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, 12 yoke. And he was driving the 12th pair. And Elijah went up to him and threw his clo cloak around him. And then Elisha, do you see this? Elijah hits him with a coat and Elisha chases him, but not to, to kill him, but to follow him. That's so weird, but it happened. Anyways, Elisha left his oxen and ran after Elijah. And he said, let me kiss mom and dad goodbye. There was a lot communicated in getting hit with a coat back then. <laughs> Let me kiss mom and dad goodbye. And he said, and then I'll go with you. And Elijah said, go back. What have I done to you? And so Elijah left and went back and he took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. 
And he burned the plowing equipment and took the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became a servant. You see now why my grandfather called it kill the cow and burn the plow, don't you? I love it because I'm Texan and it was a barbecue. But here's the thing. So Elisha, you got to understand a little bit about him. His family was probably wealthy and he was in the family business. And so he, he was not a trust fund baby, even though mom and dad were probably wealthy. He wasn't in the game room or out in the pool house playing PlayStation. Or, you know, he, that's not what he was doing, right? He was working in the family business. In fact, he was the foreman over 12 team of oxen and, and basically in charge of all 12 teams. And, and so he had 11 guys working under him. And so he's actually very successful. He's a young guy, very successful, very fruitful, even though he comes from a affluent family. And, and so this is not a guy that was just sitting around. This is not a guy that has bad stuff in his life. There's nothing wrong with succeeding in business. There's nothing wrong with being successful. There's nothing wrong with loving your mom and dad, obviously. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. None of that stuff is anything that's a negative. Nothing's wrong with that. But he's sitting there one day and he's plowing and God got to looking and God looked over and said, Elijah, I know we need somebody to come after you. And so I'm looking over here and I see this guy, Elisha. And here's the thing. He's been so fruitful, I'm ready to promote him. It's just the promotion means he's going to have to cut some things back. You know what I'm saying? Like God's looking, he's like, who am I going to use? Well, this guy, he's been so fruitful. So Elijah, go hit him with your coat. I still don't get it. Go hit him with your coat, Elijah. And when you hit him with your coat, he's going to follow you. And Elisha says this. He says, you know what? This season has been good. Nothing wrong with oxen. Nothing wrong with plowing. Nothing wrong with success. Nothing wrong with mom and dad. This season has been good to me. But if I'm going to go to the next season, I'm going to have to have a barbecue with these oxen, feed the village people while they're singing YMCA, burn this plow and follow that man. And so Elijah finds the, the, the resolve, if you will, or had the vision to cut down or cut back a part of his life that was even good so he could go to what God had for him next. It's just God, God works in seasons in our lives. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us that there's, you know, there's a time to sow, there's a time to plant, there's, there's a time to, to build, there's a time to tear down, there's a time to gain and lose and throw and keep. It, it always kind of, you can say it this way, there's a time to begin something and there's a time to end something. Sometimes we need to understand there's a time to end something. And it's not because that thing is wrong. It's because it just doesn't work in the next season you need to go to. Wasn't anything wrong with the plow. Wasn't anything wrong with mom and dad. Wasn't anything wrong with the business. It's just that for Elisha to go on to be who God had called him to be, to go on to raising the dead and prophesying to a nation, then he had to end even a good season in his life. And I think sometimes we miss that, that when it comes to pruning, it's not always about pruning just the bad stuff out. You can prune the bad stuff out. Sometimes going on to being the most fruitful, going on to reaching your potential is not just about cutting the bad out. Sometimes it's about saying the season's ended on that relationship. The season's ended on that thing. The season's ended on that job, right? It, it wasn't that it was bad. Nothing wrong with them. I, I remember... Um, 
Julie and I were, were married, and, and we just had Luke at the time, and we bought a Harley. Well, I bought a Harley. Well, we bought a Harley, but I rode it. And so I bought a Harley, and Julie rode it with me, and oh, it was, it was fine, y'all. It was, it was a 2003. It was a 100th anniversary edition fat boy. Yeah, all the men said, Jesus, Jesus. I feel him now. He's in the room. If Jesus ain't coming on a white horse, he's coming on a black hog. That's all I know. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and, and, uh, and we enjoyed that. We read, wrote it, uh, read it, <laughs> we wrote it, and we rode it around, and, and it was fun. And, and where I, the church I went to, several guys had motorcycles. We rode. My dad had one. We rode. Um, and then we started a missions organization, and we had to travel a lot. And at first, uh, Julie and Luke would travel with me, and sometimes we'd be gone a couple weeks, or sometimes we'd be gone a month. And we started a Bible school in Honduras, and and so you know we'd go there for a month at a time. And then and then we got Mariah, and Mariah didn't travel quite like Luke. Luke could travel anywhere. Um, Mariah was mad about traveling, apparently. And one time she screamed from Honduras to El Salvador to Houston. She screamed the whole time. They applauded when we got off that airplane. They're like, thank God those people got off that airplane. That little Asian baby was screaming. Why is she so mad? We didn't know why she was mad either. Anyways, um, and so one Saturday I went out. Then we found out we were having Briggs. And I went out one Saturday and, and literally got on the motorcycle because, you know, you need to, to ride them or, you know, it's not good for the tires, not good for the fluids, not good for the battery, all that kind of stuff. So literally I went out like, and I'd done this several times. I, I got on the motorcycle. I put Mariah on the gas tank and went putting around the neighborhood. I mean, it went from me and my chick going on rides <laughs> to now I've got my little Asian baby sitting on the gas tank. Hi, Mr. Brown. And I realized, I think the season of the Harley has come to an end. I don't think this is, you know, I don't have chaps on. I got gym shorts on. You know what I mean? It's like, I think this has come, I think this has come to an end. And, and so we, we sold it. And, and it wasn't really a bad thing. But what I realized is this was fun in this one season of my life. But now that I'm traveling, I don't have time to do this, especially with now we got three kids. And it, it, it was good and that, nothing wrong with having a Harley. It was good. In fact, I have one now. There's nothing wrong. Someone gave, my, actually my dad called me one day and said, come get my Harley. You can have it. So I have one now. It's a great season. It's sitting in the garage too. Anyways, <laughs> but the point is there's nothing wrong with, with the Harley. It just wasn't right for the season. And so sometimes we have to realize that sometimes if we want to move forward, we have to cut even the good stuff out of our life. Here's the second thing Jesus tells us to cut is the sick. Jesus breaks it up, and we kind of see in, Luke, in, in John 15, you see two categories, but really there are three. And he says, if it's dead, cut it off, and if it's fruit-bearing, prune it. But see, there are two types of branches that produce fruit. Some of them produce too much fruit, and some of them produce not enough fruit. And the, usually the reason they don't produce enough fruit is there's a sickness. The branch is not actually well. Maybe has a fungus or a disease or something like that. And so they have to start pruning the sick branches to help them produce more fruit, right? And so, so when we're cutting back, we cut back the excess, but we also cut back what's sick. Now, I want to clarify this because I realize we, I hang out with teenagers. I have a teenager, and sick is now a word that means cool because I'll hear them like, I got this new video game. Dude, that's sick. Okay, I'm talking about sick as in sick, not sick as in cool. Everybody with me? So we have to cut back the sick parts of our life. In fact, in Luke chapter 15, 
um, there's this story of this rich young ruler, and they usually, you know, they'll title that paragraph of your Bible, whatever. Uh, some theologians believe he was Nicodemus. Um, but nonetheless, there's this young man, he comes to Jesus and he says, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, uh, well, you got to do these things. In fact, he said, how can I follow you? And Jesus said, well, you do these things. You keep the commandments, you know, you honor your father and mother and this, this, and this. And he said, I've done those things since I'm a kid. Since I was a kid, I've done those things. And then Jesus looked at him and said, then go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And he went away and didn't follow Jesus because he had a lot of wealth. Now, there's nothing wrong with having wealth. Nothing wrong with that. Um, obviously, there's a problem when your money has you, but there's nothing wrong with having wealth. And it's interesting because what basically happened, Jesus said, you want to follow me, do these things. And here's what he said. I've done those things. Let me say another one. I'm very fruitful. I've been really fruitful. I've done all these things. And Jesus is like, yeah, you're producing a lot of fruit, but let's talk about the sick branch in your life. Because you got a branch over here where you think money is your source and not God. And as long as you think money's your source, I can't be. And so you're being fruitful. In fact, yeah, you're producing fruit. But the only way for you to produce more fruit is to deal with this sick mentality that you have in believing that money can give you something that I can't. And it's not always about money. It doesn't always have to be about money. Maybe, maybe what you have in your life is, is, is you've got some sick relationships. And you're getting something from some kind of unhealthy relationship that God would like to give you in a healthy way. And you got this sick branch, but you just keep running back to him. Right? I hate to tell you this, but Mr. Wright probably isn't in the club on Friday night. And you know that, but you keep going to the club to look for him. Because if I can find him in the club, I can get him to the church. No, 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 no. No, it's not how, it's not how it works. And so maybe you got some sick, maybe you got some codependency and you can't be okay unless everybody makes you okay. And maybe you got to cut that off to say, you know what? That's sick. Me and God can be okay. I don't need them to make me okay. Me and God can be okay. And so all of us, a lot of times we'll have some sick places in our life, whether it's an attitude or whether it's a pattern. Some of you just keep doing the same thing over and over again. And it's a sick pattern and you know it's a sick pattern, but somewhere you got to say, okay, this doesn't work. You got to stop doing what doesn't work. Can I tell you another attitude that some people need to stop? You need to stop stopping. Right? Because some of you, God gives you a vision, you get inspired, you're about to start a business, you're about to do this thing, you're about to start a ministry, you're about to get involved somewhere, maybe you're going to get on a dream team, maybe you're going to lead a life group, I don't know, maybe you're going to ask your job, your boss for a promotion, but God's putting something on your heart. And just about the time you start moving that way, fear grips your heart and you stop. And this doesn't, be another, this doesn't need to be another year that you stop. This needs to be the year that you say no to fear and be okay with failing if that's what it takes and say, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to stop stopping so this year I can move forward to fruitfulness. I'm just going to believe God's going to catch me if I go. And you need to, you need to stop, stop stopping. 
And so we need to cut the excess. We need to cut the sick. And then here's the last one. It was the one everybody easily is identified with. But the branches that bear no fruit, we cut them off, according to Jesus in John 15. So we need to cut off the dead stuff. See, here's what excess is. Excess is it's too much for me to sustain. Here's what sick is. It's the things in my life that are not participating in growth or they're resistant to growth. So excess too much, sick, hey, they're not helping the cause. But dead is the stuff, it's not going to do anything because it's dead. Right? Dead is the stuff, it's not, it can't produce anything. It's not going to produce anything. And people are saying everything, well, why would you hang on to something that's dead? Well, I'm about to help you with that. But here's the thing, you got to cut off the dead stuff. And the dead stuff is the stuff, have you ever thought about this? Um, do you remember when the banks had to bail out the automotive industry several years ago? You guys remember that? Did anyone ever ask the question on why a bankruptcy judge had to tell GM to stop building Pontiacs? They hadn't made a profit in 30 years building a Pontiac, right? But it took a judge to say, hey, guys, Pontiac's dead. Like it had a good season, right? Little GTO. Thank you, Jesus. I'd take one today. Sign me up. Woo! Right? I mean, Pontiac made the bandits Trans Am. Thank you, Jesus. There were some good seasons with Pontiac. But they said Pontiac hadn't turned a profit in years, and you guys are still building Pontiacs. Maybe you wouldn't be here needing a loan if you'd quit building Pontiacs. Why is it so hard to cut off the stuff in our lives that we know is not producing anything? Why is that so hard? Um, have you ever watched uh, the show Hoarders? Have you ever watched that show? I, I tried. I have ADD. It overwhelms me. I freak out. I run into a wall. It's not good. <laughs> I was raised with grandfather. I love my grandfather. He was, he was a pastor, and, and uh, he was just all-around cool guy. But, um, but truthfully, Pop was a little bit of a hoarder. And here's what I mean, because he didn't ever throw anything away. Like, literally, like he had barns full of stuff, and when they filled up, we built a new barn to put stuff in it. When he passed away, we started cleaning out the barns. It took a long time. He had my mom's first bicycle. It didn't work. It was rusted, didn't have a chain, pedals were broken off, didn't have any wheels or tires. But it was her first bicycle. Because somebody might need a dilapidated, deteriorated, broken down 50-year-old bicycle. You never know. But if you watch Hoarders or if you talk to Pop and you said, hey, why don't we have, Pop, you know, why, why do you have mom's 50-year-old bicycle in your barn? Well, I might need it, son. Somebody might need that one day. See, if you watch Hoarders, um, what you realize is that when people grow up, see, here's what you need to know about Pop. Pop lived through the Great Depression. And what you learn is when people grow up and their immediate world does not offer them what they need, then when they finally get something, they're scared to let go of it. So when their immediate world doesn't offer them love and they finally think they've found it, even though she's no good or he's no good, they're not going to let go because someone else might not love them. 
I'm helping you. That's what this is called. <laughs> right? And, and so when they don't get acceptance or they don't get approval, or even if they don't get sustenance, and they finally get something, they're like, I can't let this go. There may not be any more. Because their world taught them that you don't get what you need. And if you finally get something, don't ever let go of it. And now all of a sudden, if you're not careful, you're hanging on to a dead financial practice. Did you know you can go shopping and leave your credit card at home? Did you know that? Like you don't even have to have the actual credit card to pay the bill. You can cut it up and keep paying the bill till it's gone. I don't know if y'all know that. But we're hanging on to a dead financial practice because we might not have enough. We're hanging on to a dead relationship because no one else may, may love me when truthfully they don't love you really. They're just using you. And what we have to come to is that we have to be honest to say, hey, the world I grew up in said you don't get your needs met, but I've been adopted into a new family and I have a new father and his promise is that he will supply all of my needs according to his wealth and not according to my ability. And if I can just trust that God is really good and he's really mine and that he's going to provide for me and that he has a plan for me and I can trust him enough, I can finally let go of something that's dead. Because sometimes there's a dead branch in our life and God is charging at it with shears and we throw fruitful branches in front of it and say, no, don't cut it off. If I keep dating them, they're going to be okay. No. No, that's not it. And so we got we to gotta cut. Here, here's the other thing that hoarders say. Like this show, you go over in, in, in their house. And you know hoarders, that's where they just get all the stuff, right? And on their mantle is a jar of teeth. And you, you, on their mantle, a jar of baby teeth. And they hadn't had a baby in the house in 30 years. And you pick it up and you write, what is this? <laughs> That's their teeth. It's their teeth. Why is it on your mantle? <laughs> your baby's 40. Why is this on your mantle? There was a time when baby teeth were cute. That was 38 years ago. You understand what I'm saying? Now this is on your mantle. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. They're emotionally attached to something that's dead. Um, if, you're, if you're thinking about memorizing scripture this year as part of a New Year's resolution, then, you know, you can start with John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. It's easy. You can, you can take that home with you today. Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five. 35. But in, in Luke chapter 17, verse 32, there's a three-word verse that's also good to memorize. Luke 17, 32 says... Remember Lot's wife. You remember the story of Abraham and Lot and Lot and his wife. And Abraham uh, had a nephew named Lot. Lot went with Abraham. And they got to this place um, to where they needed to divide. There was just problems with their, their employees who were watching over their animals. And the land couldn't support all of their flocks. And so Abraham says, Lot, you pick which way you want to go and I'll go the other way. And it's really interesting, and this is just a side note, because Abra a Lot ends up living in Sodom and Gomorrah, and that's a pretty famous area, because most people know Sodom and Gomorrah was really perverted, 
tons of sexual sin, all types of perversion, and God destroyed it. But you know, Lot didn't start, let me just add this in, side note. Lot didn't start living in Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible says that when Abram and Lot, Abraham and Lot divided, it says, and Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. Whatever you pitch your tent toward, you're probably going to end up in the middle of. Right? He pitched his tent. In other words, his door, the door of his tent opened to Sodom. And it wasn't too long and he was living in Sodom. You may want to, be, you may want to watch out what you pitch your tent towards. And so he ends up in Sodom and we know Sodom was sick and terrible. And, and when the angels came to get Lot, I mean, it was like the, it, before we had Navy SEALs, we had angel SEALs. And they come to do an extraction of Lot and his family out of Sodom. And the people in Sodom were going to attack Lot and his family to have sex with the angels. That's how screwed up it was. And the angels had to make them all blind so they'd go home. That's jacked up, friend. And so they rescue Lot and they bring him out because they're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And they said, they said, you know, go over, you know, go this way. And finally Lot says, we can't make it. Can we go to this village called Zoar? And they said, go to Zoar, but don't look back. If you look back, you'll die. And they're walking across the desert, Lot and his family, and they're walking towards Zoar. And for whatever reason, all of a sudden, Lot's wife turns around. And as soon as she did, she became a pillar of salt in the desert. She died. You ever think, well, why did she do that? I mean, she knew she was going to die if she did that. I mean, they had been warned. Sodom was a terrible place. If there was any dead place in the world, it was Sodom. Sodom was past dead, right? They were so dead, God was going to kill them all. That's dead. He's going to destroy the whole place. It was so dead. All it could produce was death. And she knows it's dead. She knows it's no good. She knows the angels are having to literally save them and get them out of there. And they says, you're safe. Just don't look back. And she looked back. You know why she looked back? That's what I think. Sure thing. But my, but my kids grew up there. But my parents are buried there. But my best friend lives there. But my job's there. My house is there. Let's say it another way. She was emotionally attached to something that was dead. And this is why it's so hard to cut off the dead places in our life. Because we're scared, number one, there's not going to be any more. Or number two, we're just really attached to it. But here's, do you know why they cut off the dead branches off of a plant? Because if you don't cut off the dead branch, it compromises the entire plant. Because it's dead for a reason. And when we're hanging on to something that's dead in our life, we need to realize it's dead for a reason. Something killed it. And why would I want to hang on to a branch that has a fungus or a disease that killed it and hope it doesn't kill me. You see, when, when you read John chapter 15, and you can go read it, but he, he starts off with pruning, and the next thing you know, he's talking about being disciples, taking over the world, having God answer all your prayers. 
I mean, it's kind of interesting when he talks about abiding in him and all that your life is going to produce. It's like he says, hey, guys, we start with this idea of cutting some stuff out and we get to this place where we're changing the world. God's answering all of our prayers. We're, we're executing God's plan and vision for our life. In other words, God has this great plan for you. It's a lot better than the dead stuff you're holding on to. And if you could just have enough faith in God to cut out the excess and to cut out the sick stuff and to cut out the dead stuff, then you're going to get to step into something that few people have ever stepped into. God has an amazing plan for you. He has a higher plan for you than you realize. You know what I wish? I wish for one week you would think about yourself the way God thinks about you. Because most of the time, he thinks great things about us, and we think terrible things about us, and then we think he thinks the terrible things about us, when truthfully, he thinks the great things about us. And with God, it's not a question of whether you can change the world. It's not a question of whether you can be fruitful. It's not a question of whether you can thrive. It's a question of what are you willing to cut out so you can see what God really has for you. What are you willing to let go of so you can truly get God's best for your life? What are you really, really willing to end so you can step into a new season of new beginnings where the blessings are greater, the peace is greater, the people are greater, the promotion is greater? What are you willing to end so that you can have a new beginning like nothing else in your life? That's really what Jesus is driving home in John 15. And that's really the word for today. If you can cut it back, you can go to the next level. Amen. Will you stand with me?